Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir John E. Macdonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. Today, we're looking at Alexander Mackenzie, our second Prime Minister. But before I get to that, if you want to support this podcast or any of my other podcasts, which I do full-time, you can just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcasts for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Every dollar you give helps keep the podcast going. And of course, check out my other podcasts, Canadian History X, that's EHX, where I do interviews with historians and well-known Canadians and cover various events and people with three episodes a week. I also have Pucks and Cups every Sunday, where I look at the history of hockey in Canada from the 1800s to about the late 1960s. In Canadian history, there have been two very famous Alexander Mackenzies. The first was a man who explored much of what would one day be Canada and was the first to accomplish the first east-to-west crossing of North America, north of Mexico. That is not the Alexander Mackenzie I'm talking about. The one I'm talking about was born two years after the previous one died, but he too would make a name for himself in many ways. While John A. Macdonald essentially ruled as Prime Minister from 1867 to 1891, there was one brief gap in between. It was a five-year gap from 1873 to 1878 when another man became Prime Minister, and he was unlike John A. Macdonald in nearly every way. While Macdonald was forced out due to the Pacific Scandal, Mackenzie would come in and put into place many things that exist to this very day. Today, we're looking at this very interesting man. On January 28, 1822, nearly five years to the day that Macdonald was born, and 126 kilometers to the north of where Macdonald breathed his first breath, Alexander Mackenzie was born. The site of his birthplace was called the Hallow of the Weeping, because it was here that families said their goodbyes as the convicted were led to their deaths on the Gallow Hills. One very interesting aspect of the home that Mackenzie was born into is that it exists to this very day. His father, Alexander Mackenzie Sr., had worked as a carpenter and ship's joiner and would pass away in 1836 when Mackenzie was only 13. At the time, Mackenzie was attending school, but he was forced to end his formal education and begin supporting the now fatherless family. This would lead him to becoming an apprentice stonemason. He began working with another stonemason and through him he met Helen Neal, the woman he would eventually marry and without whom he would have never become Prime Minister of a country yet to be born. After converting to become a Baptist like the Neal family, he then followed them to Canada in 1842 at the age of only 20, seeking a better life. As he would write later in his life, he arrived with, quote, scarce 16 shillings in my pocket. It was also through his new faith that he became involved in temperance, something that John A. Macdonald obviously never supported. Leaving on the Monarch on April 5, 1842, he reached Montreal with the Neal family on May 6th, nearly suffering a shipwreck along the way after a close call with an iceberg. Mackenzie settled in Kingston, where John A. Macdonald was currently making a name for himself. And he would try to work as a stonemason, but the limestone of the area was too hard for his stonemason tools to work with. He was unable to buy new tools, so he worked as a laborer constructing a building in the community. Eventually, Mackenzie would take on a contract to build an arch at Fort Henry and was the foreman at the construction of the Four Mortello Towers in Kingston. He also helped build the Welland Canal, the Episcopal Church, 
a bank in Sarnia, as well as several courthouses and jails. Several of the places he helped to build, including the Fort Henry Arch, are now National Historic Sites, as are the Kingston Towers. He also served as a foreman during the construction of the Lachine Canal in Montreal, another National Historic Site. I did an episode on that canal way back in January, and you can find it on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. Becoming successful in his work, Mackenzie was joined in Canada by his brother Hope, followed by his mother and seven surviving brothers, with everyone settling in Sarnia. His end goal was to eventually buy a farm and raise a family there. In Kingston and Sarnia, Mackenzie was highly active in various groups including the Temperance Society, the Dialectic Society, the School Board, and as a census taker, and as a member of the Fire Brigade. During this time he was deeply in love with Helen. One anecdote about this time in his life was when he was working at Fort Henry in Kingston, and he spent a winter on Wolf Island in Kingston Harbour cutting stone. Each Saturday night, he walked across the ice to see Helen at her parents' home. One night, he arrived half-frozen and soaking wet after falling through the ice. Learning from the experience, he always carried a long pole to protect himself if he fell through the ice again. This was not the only time that Mackenzie would deal with danger and the prospect of death. While working as a stonemason, a one-ton block fell and crushed his leg while he was working on a canal. As well, among his stonemason crew one year, 17 employees died when their boat capsized in what is now called Deadman's Bay. In 1845, he would marry Helen Neal and the couple would welcome three children, two of whom did not live to adulthood. Sadly, the marriage was brief. In 1852, Helen succumbed to the effects of excessive doses of a mercury-based colomol used to treat a fever. The following year, Mackenzie would marry Jane Sim, who he had met in church. At the same time he had come into Canada West, Mackenzie became interested in the politics of the colony. Unlike Macdonald, who saw George Brown as a rival, Mackenzie was attracted to the egalitarian and anti-establishment reform movement, and he would help get George Brown elected in 1851. At the same time, he would become the editor of the Lambton Shield, a reformer magazine during the 1850s. In 1859, Mackenzie, his brother Hope, a contractor named James Stewart, and a plumber named Neil McNeil would submit a bid on the construction of the Parliament buildings in Ottawa. In 1861, Mackenzie himself was elected into the Legislative Assembly, and during the 1860s he helped push for Confederation. In 1865, following the resignation of Brown, Mackenzie was invited to replace him as President of the Council, but he declined because he was wary of the motivations of Macdonald. In 1867, he was elected to the House of Commons upon the creation of Canada. Interestingly, he also served in the Ontario Assembly from 1871 to 1872 until dual representation was ended in Canada. Following his resignation, Mackenzie, along with Brown, would convince Oliver Mowat to become the Liberal leader in Ontario. Soon after, Mowat would become Premier of the province, 10 days after Mackenzie resigned, serving for 24 years and openly pushing against the federal authority of Johnny Macdonald, helping to give provinces more power, something which exists to this very day. Mowat would eventually go on to serve in federal politics under Wilfrid Laurier and was then the Lieutenant Governor of Ontario from 1897 to 1903. While not pursuing becoming leader of the Liberal Party, Mackenzie was well known enough in political circles and respected enough that he was named the leader of the Liberal Opposition in March of 1873. In November of that year, following the Pacific Scandal, 
Mackenzie was asked by the Governor General to form the first Liberal administration in Canadian history, and he quickly called an election. In January of 1874, the Liberal Party won a huge majority with 40% of the vote. Soon after winning the election, Mackenzie and his wife escaped death when their house, and most of the block on Wellington Street, was engulfed in flames. An inquest was held and evidence was found of arson at the back of Mackenzie's home. Mackenzie becoming Prime Minister was highly unusual for a time when leader roles in the Commonwealth often went to people born into privilege, rather than those who came from a working class background. There were some who didn't like the idea of a stonemason leading the country, including Lord Dufferin, the Governor-General of Canada. Dufferin, though, to his credit, would change his view on the matter after he met Mackenzie, stating, quote, However narrow and inexperienced Mackenzie may be, I imagine he is thoroughly upright, well-principled, and a well-meaning man. In a response to those who felt that a stonemason should not be leader, Mackenzie would say in 1875, quote, I have always held those political opinions which point to the universal brotherhood of man, no matter in what rank of life he may have taken his origin. Another person who spoke highly of Mackenzie at this time was his friend and mentor, George Brown, who said at a banquet honoring Mackenzie the year he became Prime Minister, quote, In the midst of venality and corruption, Mr. Mackenzie's hands have never been defiled. It is such counties as Lambton that make such representatives as Alexander Mackenzie. It will be a bright page in the history of Canada that tells that the first reform minister of this great dominion was the noblest working man in the land and the representative of one of the truest constituencies that ever upheld a great cause. With his knowledge of masonry and construction, Mackenzie, while serving as the second Prime Minister of Canada, also served as the Minister of Public Works. This was shown in 1877 when he put down the cornerstone of the First Baptist Church in Ottawa. He would take a mason's trowel and spread the mortar himself. While he was diligent in his public works portfolio, including an attempt to build a transcontinental railway on a self-financing basis, many felt that his work on the portfolio took away from his leadership in the House of Commons. Nonetheless, he would oversee the completion of the Parliament buildings, and he would draw up plans for the West Block that would include a staircase leading directly from his office to the outside of the building. He did this to allow himself to escape the patronage seekers waiting for him in the antechamber, as he despised the patronage inherited to politics. The tower in the West Block is now called Mackenzie Tower in honour of Mackenzie, and before the Peace Tower was built, it was the tallest building in the parliamentary district. Also during his time as leader, he sent the Northwest Mounted Police, created in 1873, out on their march west to fight the whiskey trade and secure peaceful relations with the indigenous there. The working class background of Mackenzie was shown in a very unique interaction that he had as Prime Minister while touring Fort Henry. He asked the soldier that was with him the thickness of the wall. The soldier did not know, and Mackenzie said, quote, I do. It is 5 feet 10 inches. I know because I built it myself. During the period that Mackenzie would serve as Prime Minister, amounting to only five years, he would implement several important institutions and changes. Both the Supreme Court of Canada and the Auditor's General Office were created. In 1874, he passed the Dominion Elections Act, which created a secret ballot for elections, and he removed the requirement for property ownership for candidates seeking to be elected to the House of Commons. 
Simultaneous voting was also introduced in Canada, rather than a drawn-out election that often took days or weeks to complete. He also established the Royal Military College of Canada in Kingston in 1874. With his Attorney General, Edward Blake, he also trimmed at the powers of the Governor-General, giving Canada more independence from England. He also expanded the railways of the new country, along with the telegraph lines. While he granted amnesty to Louis Riel for his part in the Red River resistance, it was under his administration that the highly controversial Indian Act was implemented, though. Mackenzie was an anomaly among the politicians of the day. He did not dress well given his background and desire to save money, especially at the start of his political career. He also had a strong personal budgetary restraint. In 1876, he was angry he had to spend $128 for a politically necessary banquet, and he would avoid entertaining because of the cost. His beliefs meant his speeches were rooted in factual material culled from his constant reading of newspapers, biographies, history books, and government documents. And throughout his political career, he was seen as a man of direct expression and forceful opinions. His lack of education, because he had to leave school early, also didn't stop him from expanding his knowledge on all topics. He was known to study literature, history, science, philosophy, and politics. During the 1878 election campaign, Mackenzie would hit the campaign trail expecting another victory, writing, quote, I find the Tories everywhere confident. Why, I cannot understand. My meetings have been everywhere successful. Could hardly be more so. In 1878, though, Macdonald came back into power on a majority. A big reason for this was an economic recession had hit right as Mackenzie had taken power, which hurt his party's popularity in Canada, resulting in the Conservatives gaining power again, but Mackenzie did win his riding, although just barely. In order to deal with the economic crisis, Mackenzie had to trim expenses and halt construction on the railroad that was going across the country, and this was not a popular decision. Writing a friend following the election loss, though, he wrote, quote, I shall have more time this coming session to devote to curling with you than I was able to get for the last five years. Mackenzie would remain as leader of his party for another 19 months, but failing health and issues in his party resulted in him stepping down and Edward Blake taking over. Most of his strength had been taken by the illness he was suffering, and he lost most of his voice. His remaining years in Parliament were spent mostly in silence, but he would continue to serve in the House of Commons for the rest of his life. Unlike every Prime Minister between Sir John A. Macdonald and Sir Robert Borden, Mackenzie stayed true to his working-class roots and refused three offers to be knighted. He also refused to be appointed to the UK Privy Council and therefore does not have the right honourable in front of his name. He would also write several books after his time as leader of the Liberal Party was over, including The Life and Speeches of the Honourable George Brown, published in 1882. During his time in politics, he also founded a fire insurance business, and while serving as leader of the country, he was also the first president of the North American Life Assurance Company. In 1882, he would visit Portland and think about his youth as old age crept up on him, writing, quote, I wish I could, as of yore, climb about the cliffs and get on rough places, but instead I had to walk slowly and carefully with the steps of a decrepit old man, though in spirit I feel young yet. I am hardly a moment free of pain, but if it is depressing, it is not intolerable, 
and I am thankful it is no worse. He would pass away on April 17, 1892, after suffering a stroke when he hit his head during a fall. Despite being a former Prime Minister, he was not given a state funeral. His public services in Toronto and Sarnia were well attended, though, and quite large, with a great deal of public respect being paid to Mackenzie. And his body would be laid to rest at the Lake V Cemetery in Sarnia. In 1999, the Government of Canada declared the burial site, which now holds 50 members of the Mackenzie family around a 19-foot monument, as a national monument. This was after it had fallen into quite a poor state, as was shown in this report from CBC in 1999. Roger Galloway joins us now. He's the Member of Parliament for Sarnia-Lambton. He's at the restored gravesite of Alexander Mackenzie in Sarnia. Hi, Roger. Hi, Brent. So this is what the site looks like now. What did Alexander Mackenzie's grave look like before? Well, previously, you can see the stone at the top of the hill behind me. It's mm -hmm. 106 years old. The engraving on it, a lot of it was illegible. The, uh, it's in a rather large cemetery. You had to know precisely where it was or you'd never find it. There was nothing here to tell you that Canada's second prime minister, a very important historical uh, person, is in fact buried in this cemetery or in this city. So is this the plot that got you into the whole general gravesite preservation <laughs> business of prime ministers, Roger? It is. is where it started? In fact, it is. It came to me from a, a local individual, a Mr. John Goodwin, who had approached the mayor of the city about having a, an Alexander Mackenzie day. Uh -huh. uh, out of that uh, came the fact that uh, came to my attention. I knew that I knew he was buried here, and in fact, I'd been to the site once. Uh, that in fact, there was nothing to tell anyone who this person was. It, it is in fact engraved on the stone that he was a prime minister, but uh -huh. you couldn't read it anymore. Uh -huh. So, out of that grew the idea that I would table a motion in the house calling for the government to to recognize these as national historic sites. But, but you know, I guess the question is, what did Sir Mackenzie Bowell or Sir John Thompson ever do for me that I would want to know where his grave is and be able to visit it? Well, Sir John Thompson uh, wasn't the Prime Minister. In fact, I think he was one of the shorter in terms, uh, in terms as Prime Minister. Yeah. But uh, Alexander Mackenzie is the person who brought us the secret ballot. Mm -hmm. Alexander Mackenzie is the person who, who started Royal Military College. Alexander Mackenzie is the person who sent the RCMP to the West so that the development of Western Canada was done in an orderly manner and not in the what I would call the American way. I guess we should be able to read a stone then at least, shouldn't we? I, I would think so. And I think that we should, we should, in fact, know that this was a person of great historical significance in the life of this country who, who is buried here. Did Mr. Cretchen support this idea? Uh, absolutely. He was the one who made it happen. Do you think his eagerness to support this had anything to do with his contemplation of his own mortality? <laughs> well, that's my line, uh, and I agree. Yes, I think it did. Uh, but it, it all came about because um, the, the local papers started to carry the story. I, I talked with some other newspapers, in particular the Ottawa Citizen, mm -hmm. which ran a, a, a large story, a half-page story, about uh, a year ago, a little more than a year ago. Right. And uh, the Prime Minister read it, and when I returned to Ottawa in September, he stopped me and said, this is a shame. We have to do something about it. So you are inferring that he was contemplating his own mortality. He didn't say anything to you about <laughs> well, when I am eventually laid to rest. This is what I'd no, like to have. No, but I have talked to to descendants of other prime ministers uh -huh. uh, who think it's a wonderful. They think it's a wonderful idea. You know, I'm standing here. I'm, I'm about one mile at most from the American border, mm -hmm. right at this site. Mm -hmm. And when I think about uh, the the four former presidents who are buried not far from here in the state of Ohio, mm -hmm. and the, the hoopla that goes on around that. And I'm not saying that we should, in fact, uh, some way mirror the Americans. Right. But I'm saying, what is wrong with a country where you have 
14 deceased prime ministers and you have to be a detective to find out where they're buried. And you have to be a detective to know what they did in their lifetime mm -hmm. if you're not a historian. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about time in this country that we got away from all the exceptions and got back to the general in the sense that there are people of, of great uh, national historical importance in this country who are lying uh, anonymous in, in graves. And uh, this was a, a situation which I think is being corrected. Several places have been named for Mackenzie, including the Mackenzie Mountain Range in the Yukon and Northwest Territories, Mount Mackenzie in British Columbia, and several buildings, parks, and roads. In a study of the top prime ministers from 1867 to 1999, he placed 11th. His legacy in Canada is not only in the institutions he helped create as prime minister, but also in the character he showed during his time as a politician. William Lyne Mackenzie who led the Upper Canada Rebellion in 1838, would state, quote, He is every whit a self-made, self-educated man, has a large mental capacity and indomitable energy. A historian would write in 1903 about Mackenzie saying, quote, He was, and ever will remain, the Sir Galahad of Canadian politics. Sir George Ross would write about Mackenzie in his biography, quote, we saw a figure of medium height, well-proportioned, yet tending towards slenderness of build, but wiry and tough of fibre, and alert in movement with a fine head well-posed, a noble forehead, fair hair, large blue eyes that have the faculty for reading character, but that, beaming with kindness, honest men can trust. A nose, the feature which in almost every face is the evidence of power, or the lack of it, long and equiline, a firm but mobile mouth, around whose lines a little sternness is ever struggling with a larger fund of mirth. A strong, vigorous, well-trained, and well-disciplined man who will undertake whatever work, of whatever kind, his hand may find to do, and will do it with all his might. He possesses with many great gifts the often rarer gift of the power to use them. The greatest praise came from his friend and future Prime Minister, Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who said, quote, one of the truest and strongest characters to be met with in Canadian history. He was endowed with a warm heart and a copious and rich fancy, though veiled by a somewhat reticent exterior, and he was of the friends the most true and tender. I hope you enjoyed that look at Alexander Mackenzie on the second episode of From John to Justin, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you want to reach me, you can. Just go to craig at canadaehx.com, you can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. In addition, you can support the podcast like I said. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Phil Maynard, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can find us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, Collections Canada, Biography.com, The Canadian Guide, Biography.ca, Doncomer.com, Ottawa Citizen, Sarnia Historical Society, HistoricPlaces.ca, WindsorScottish.ca, 
in Lambton's County, 100 years, 1849 to 1949. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.